0: exploit just use his talent as it were his connection with god to uh, exploit others and receive from them it led to his downfall uh we'll not fire all our bullets in this particular message but because there's a lot of them we'll pick up a few of them next week uh you can read uh in peter about balaam we have the heir of balaam we have the um doctrine of Balaam in the book of Revelation. And so a little bit what we cover this morning would probably be under the air of Balaam. In this text that we'll cover this morning, 1 through 35, he was summoned in the first 14 verses by Balak, king of Moab. He disobeyed Yahweh in going to Balak, as it were, to curse God's people. And on the way there, verses 22 through 35, he was confronted by Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. So this is our text this, uh, this morning. The Diviner's Wage. And let's cover the first four, 14 verses. Then the children of Israel moved and encamped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. And so Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as one, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak said to the son of Zippor, the king of the Moabats, at this time, Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come to me at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know whom you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. And so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. And so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And so Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed." So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Interesting story indeed. I think when we see and read the passage here, they departed with a diviner's fee in hand. You know, this guy is on a path as we'll see here and he's willing to suffer for his rebellion for a payment. You know, this is akin to what Jesus said. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Though a man gain the whole world and yet loses his soul, what profit is that to him? It's amazing and I am amazed at what people are willing to give up and sell themselves for in exchange for so little. It's very sad. People that are so gifted, so talented, and yet they prostitute those gifts so that they can prosper themselves despite what their actions may do to others. And obviously you can think of many examples of this. Think of the uh, those who have sold their souls to the devil right Uh, the the rock stars they'll give their soul to the devil for fame and for riches they could care less about what their music may do to the younger generation or to the older generation or to those who listen to their music it's all about what they're going to gain see satan knows that we're selfish he knows that we're self-centered He's been exploiting mankind for quite some time. And so Israel, or here, Balaam is an example of that. Moab is terrified, as we've read there. Now remember, Moab was the son of Lot. Uh, by the elder daughter, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, there in Genesis 14. And Midian was the son of Abraham through Keturah, after Sarah had died, there in Genesis 25. And so it makes me think and reflect upon the choices that I make. Think of how their choices reverberated through history. You know, I'm not saying that Abraham sinned in taking a second wife and having six children after that, but it sure did affect the world in the Middle East. Those tribes became enemies of Isaac, his offspring, and the children of Israel. And then, of course, Lot's sin with Moab. Here we are. They're directly opposing God's people, God's nation. Consider the choices that we make. And can, those of us who are a little bit older, consider the choices that we have made and how there's been a reverberation, if you will, of the effects of the choices that we've made. And so... So scripture tells us: Let's choose wisely. Let's be careful in the choices that we make. These people were exceedingly afraid, and uh, this is uh, a very descriptive adjectival agita- approach here. Uh, they were. Let's just put it this way: They were severely insecure <laughs> with what was going on. They, this, you know, to think that this number that came out of Egypt was just a small group. Well, we have witness here that they was a, a massive people, probably close to two million people. It would be intimidating for uh, such a country as Moab, a smaller nation, realizing that they're going to pot- potentially consume all the resources in their area. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? You know, people start worrying about those kind of things. It says that they were sick with dread, and this is an interesting word here because it's it's not that the dread, but it's a projection of their feeling of disgust and hatred towards the Israelites. It wasn't just inward, but it was a a projection of emotion and utter hatred towards these people. They were repugnant to the Moabites. It's akin to the atmosphere that we have in our world today, if you haven't been paying attention. There are those that are on the side of the progressives <laughs> in a totally different context than used before. <laughs> the progressives, the far left, look at the conservative people in this country as idiots, and dis- they're disgusted by them and by us. They're horrified that we wouldn't submit to all the mandates that this government has put upon us. Can't imagine that we wouldn't wear a mask. Couldn't imagine that we wouldn't inject our children with poison as they would their own. They're disgusted with us. They hate us. We're repugnant to them. Same kind of atmosphere, the best thing to do is to annihilate them and it's really sad if you uh, sense what's going on you you can no longer just disagree with people. If you disagree with me, you mean you don't want c r t or you don't want the drag queens coming in and teaching our children well then i'm you're the enemy. I think we should just take you out dispose of you that is the hatred that the progressives are projecting upon the conservatives we are a divided nation and of course we know that this is satanic in its core how do we do how do we conquer a people we first divide them it is divide and conquer the old strategy of the enemy but they feared and their fears were were you know all in their minds they're worried about the supply levels what it's like Jesus said that the Gentiles were consumed by this thought pattern. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear, you know? What are we going to do, right? And so Moab speaks to the elders of Midian. So Moab would be the country. The Midianites would have been the residents, if you will. That's where they sort of settled. It's interesting. uh, Abraham gave all his sons of Keturah, Wealth, because he was a very wealthy, and he sent them away. And apparently, they just didn't go too far; <laughs> and they stayed right there in that area. And um, this is the problem. And so Moab's the country. Midian are the descendants there, and they're camped there. And they gather the leaders of the, re- the of the region and the elders of the people, and they have this powwow. The king has a powwow with them. Look, this is what I want you to do. And so they're gonna get the they're gonna get the best profit money can buy. Sort of like the Mormon church, the best church that money can buy. Have you ever seen more glorious buildings built in the name of God than, than theirs? Or the choirs that are put together, or the incredible underwear that they wear. You know. It's amazing what money can buy. Go ahead and look into the doctrine. It's quite interesting. They worship Michael the Archangel, by the way. That's going to go over real well with Mormons who think they're Christians, but they've been deceived uh, by their leadership. A short little digression there. I think it's important how God interacts with Balaam here. It's important to learn the nature and character of God as you read through the Scriptures. Because... He does have a gift. He does have a spiritual gift and a talent to hear Yahweh's voice. There's no question about that he's interacting with the Lord. He's, He's not false in that sense. And he understands Yahweh's requirements, that he is required to speak only what God speaks and nothing less or nothing more. So he understands the protocol. But notice how God interacts with him. He's challenging him to examine these men who have come to him. Who are these men with you? And I think that says a lot. You know, we interact with a lot of people during our lifetime. We meet a lot of strangers, and I think it's important that we discriminate. And I mean that in the sense that we're, we're discerning, we're analyzing who the people are. We're examining, are they godly or ungodly? What kind of character do they have? What are they asking of me? What would they want me to do? Are they wanting me to do something illegal? That That is proper. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're t- are they shady characters, you know? Many of the, if we do discern, because we're called to judge between what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, are we not? Uh, if we judge rightly, I think we're able to avoid... Uh, a lot of trouble. We're able to make decisions really quickly, just out of hand, just no, I'm not going to do that. And by doing that, by being yes and no about certain things, we avoid a lot of trouble. If Balaam would have employed this approach, he would have saved himself a lot of grief. He would have saved himself uh, a destructive end, as we'll cover in, in the coming Message. The choice becomes obvious when you realize the intent of the people that you're working with. There'll be no curses upon this people, the Lord says. In fact, they're blessed. You know, and do you see how that that's how God sees you? There's no curse. What weapon formed against you could possibly prosper. Everything that happens to you and to me, as you've been taught and know must come through the filter of God's love. Why is this happening to me? Well, okay, if it's happening to you, it's because God has allowed it. And if God has allowed it, then you'll have this sufficient grace. It doesn't make it easier, but it makes it bearable. And God is with you. And you have the body of Christ. We bear one another's burdens. But by and large, whereas Jacob said, few and evil have been the days of my life. If we compare the sorrows and the pain and the trials that we experience as believers throughout our life compared to those who are in rebellion against God, we're blessed. Are we not? We are blessed people. God's hand of protection. He does the best he can, as it were, to shield us from the curse of our fallen nature and the curse of this that's upon the earth. But notice here, too, that Balaam really neglected to tell these guys all that Yahweh had said to him. He sort of tells them that he just simply doesn't have permission to go. He sort of avoids telling them that these people can't be cursed because they're blessed. Now, I think if he would have made his yes, yes, and his no, no, and he had been definitive and clear, these guys would have had a different message to give the king that sent them. And he may not have had to deal with the second temptation that came around here. And so, let's pick up that second temptation that came. Verse 15, Balaam again, Balak rather, again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said, Thus says Balak, king of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you. and Whatever you say to me, and, and do, I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said, If the men come to call you, arise, go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that shall you do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. This is interesting to me because I think there's something we should not miss here first of all balak contention satan is never going to take no for an answer he will he is relentless in his pursuit to bring down the godly to destroy mankind not just the godly but all of mankind we have no idea of god's restraining restricting power against evil that's taking place. I think we'd be horrified. I'm sure I would be. If my eyes were open into the spiritual realm and I could see the horrific warfare that's going on in the unseen realm of what his schemes and intentions were to destroy mankind, I would probably just flip out. So God protects us from that. But he is a fire, oh, as John Robinson prays sometimes, uh, a fire and wall of protection around us. Think of Elijah. He does protect us. How grateful we are for that. But just understand that Satan is relentless. He'll never give up. He'll never give in. He just keeps coming for us. And so he sends more messengers, more numerous. You know, you you may have victory now. Isn't it true? We have victory one day, and the next day we fall. We make mistakes. We do something. You know, I realize as a pastor, I'm one step away. I'm one stupid decision away from, from losing every blessing in my life. That, and I, how many times has that happened to pastors? God, help us. God, per, as David prayed, God, protect me from presumptuous sin and from secret sins. Don't let those things creep into my life in any way, shape, or form. God, protect me. We need protection from ourselves. That's our biggest enemy. The guy in the mirror, that's who i got to watch out for. If I bring him to the cross and I crucify him daily, I'm going to be in a lot better shape by the end of the day. Satan, Balak, sends more messengers, more honorable. So the more victory you have, the harder the temptations become. The bigger the demons come, the more they come. And then if the demons can't handle it, then he sends in the fallen angels to deceive you with false doctrine and all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, it's relentless, the attack of the enemy. Hence, we need spiritual armor. Ephesians 6, put it on every day so that you can stand and withstand against the attack of the enemy. It is real. He's playing for keeps. Stop playing around with sin. That is the avenue by which he works. If you can keep yourself from guilt and sin, you'll save yourself a lot of pain and sorrow just by avoiding those things. Don't do things, as Paul said, don't make provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Watch what we see with our eyes, what we hear with our ears. Amen. God help us. Notice he says here, let nothing hinder you from coming. Hey, look, don't worry about anything. You don't need to worry about accountability. God doesn't care. Nobody's going to hell here. Are you kidding me? God's going to send people to hell for their temporal screw-ups on earth and send them into an eternity of hell? Oh, come on. Everybody's going to be saved in the end. And if they aren't, then they'll just be annihilated. So which, what are you going to believe? There are people who believe that. That there is no punishment. Well, if he's a God of love, then he must be a God of justice. He is just and he is loving. And everyone will stand before him and everyone will give an account and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't worry about anything. I'm, look, I'm going to give you everything that you want. How enticing is that to the flesh? The love of the world. Look, I'm going to honor you greatly. Just name your price. What do you want? Come to me. This guy's like begging him to come. Come on, man. <laughs> Where have I heard that before, right? (laughs) Covetousness, pride, ambition. Those are really strong temptations to overcome. Just think of it. There's no no depth of depravity that Satan will not offer a person. The deceitfulness of riches, fame and fortune. It's it's all mine. That's what he was appealing to Jesus with. Look, if you'll just bow down, I'm gonna give you I'll give you all of this. (laughs) Jesus in such humility. Now how would we have answered that if we were him, Jesus, right? If we had all power. Hey look, buddy, I created it all. Buzz out, you know. No, but he didn't do that because he's humble. (laughs) It is written, you shall worship the Lord and him only. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? Do you think Satan cares? Do you think he loves these people that he deceives? He is, we are repugnant to him. What do you think that hatred that the Moabites were projecting upon the Israelites came from? It was more than just self loathing from from their inner person. It was demonic in its origin. Much of again what we're in is the atmosphere of our culture today. He doesn't care. Satan doesn't care about our fallen condition. He has no pity. He's psychopathic. Not only does he want to grind us into the ground and destroy our lives, he wants to and he enjoys doing it. It's as hard for people who've been born again and love the Lord and think love and kindness can can't even imagine that someone would want to go to those lengths. It's this is unfortunately played out. It's just horrible. What goes on with little kids and these people. They must be stopped we must pray this human trafficking gosh it just breaks God's heart they're psychopathic to torture children moving on verse 18 Balaam is saying all the right words hey, like, hey, he can give you a whole house full of silver and gold you know but I, well, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord. Oh, it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Listen more, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. And he's true and he's accurate in his words. But there's, you can tell there's a confliction going on in this man's soul. Stay here tonight. And what does he say? I will see what more God will say to me. Excuse me? What more does God need to say these people are blessed. Don't go with them. And yet, how many of us are willing to, we, we have this struggle with the world. We kind of like, no, we shouldn't go there. But uh, the draw, I mean, there's a war of the flesh and the spirit that goes on within the life of a believer. So important to, to bring that to the cross because that is the only way to be free in, and win that battle. And it is an intense battle. It is real in the life of every believer. We are drawn. The Bible tells us to love not the world. That is written, the way that's written and constructed in the Greek is, you already love the world, stop doing it. So there must be an a, a, a attitude within our hearts, I am not going to do that because that is not what God loves. And if God doesn't love it, I should not love it. If God loves it, then I should love it. This is what we have to learn and grow in. If we make mistakes in that area, again, confession and repentance is in line. Because he didn't deal with this, Balaam did not deal with this in his heart. He was conflicted. I'm convinced of it. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was just—he couldn't get a handle on this war of covetousness that was going on. The temptation of and being able to prosper using his gift in this way—it was just more than he could handle. So God spoke to him, and I think the Lord was sort of laying the groundwork. Because he knew the choice that Balaam was going to make. And what I mean by that is, is he, it was sort of a conditional permission, if you will. If you can, I don't know how else to word it. But if the men come and call you, what, is, what happened? As soon as it was morning in verse 21, he just got up and sounded his donkey. He was presumptuous. Did the men come and call him? We'll never know. Doesn't look like they even had a chance. Man, he's up, crack a dawn, let's get the donkey, let's roll. That's what it appears. But the conditional part, the permission was, only the word that I say to you shall you speak. So he kind of knew, obviously, what Balaam would do in regard to this. And and you know, it, it could pile on here, I mean, because he did it, right? But these are the same temptations that we face, and we have to learn how to handle them. We have to realize just how depraved and how fallen we are. As Paul outlined in Romans so clearly, there is in my flesh, my fallen nature, no good thing. Well, I'm not that bad a guy. I don't. I don't kill people, you know. But how many times have I been filled with hatred? That's murder, right? That's the same hard attitude that leads to that. So let's get off the self-righteous kick, right? <laughs> and realize that we are totally lost and depraved and we need a Savior. And it's all taken care of at the cross And as we see ourselves crucified with him it's when we gain the victory. Who through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. We put those things to death. That is a fight in and of itself. Not to mention the spiritual warfare that goes on beyond that. But if I am not willing to crucify my flesh, deny my fallen nature, then the enemy, when he attacks, will have more victories over me than I will over him. So this is how it is. If the men come and call you, they didn't come, and they didn't call him, but what's he doing? We pick it up here, his disobedience in verse 22. The anger of the Lord was aroused because he went, and the angel of God took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now I get the picture here that the other guys probably are on horses, and they're moving at a lot faster pace. I have this picture that is just, this is the little, his little group. He's falling behind. There. The numerous honorable men have gone on to give message to Balak, hey, he's coming. Uh, that's the picture that I get here. Verse 23, Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into a field. And so Bala- Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw that the, the angel of the Lord, he pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times. And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. And so the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in hand in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, "Why have you struck your donkey these 3 times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me." The donkey saw me and turned aside. From me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men. But only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So they were not too far off. We can see through this passage that the result of disloyalty to Yahweh, the result of rebellion, is always blindness. People do not see, they do not comprehend what they do not see. They're filled with their own ways. It was, he was blinded, as it were, by the love of money and the deceitfulness of riches. There are, they have directed his heart away from obedience and away from the ways of God. Rather than looking to God for provision or blessing to become wealthy or wise or famous, because it looked like he was fairly well-known at this point anyway, why didn't he just look to God for for what he felt he may have needed? I don't know. The flesh is never satisfied. There are a lot of people that can't resist the temptation of wealth and fame, especially when you're really gifted, and I mean really talented, it's really easy for the devil to exploit that because it doesn't take you a lot of effort to do what you're good at. And then who cares about how it affects other people? You know, I'm getting paid for this, you know. I'm, I'm getting the accolades from people and so, you know, hey, this is great. It's so sad. But the Lord's anger was aroused. Now, this is kind of important. The anger of the Lord. What makes the Lord angry? Now before people, you know, get on this kick, well, you know, God in the Old Testament's always angry. Oh, yeah. But just not forget, He's also angry in the New Testament, right? And I'll show you in the passage in a minute here. But just let's just answer the question for for just a bit here. What makes the Lord angry? And I've got a number of things here, but they're not necessarily in this order. Uh, There are probably a few more, but just, just a couple here. One is direct disobedience. You know, it's like a parent and child. You know, Joey, do this. No. Well, that guy's going to get it, right? That makes a parent angry. Well, why, why would God be any different, right? Why would he react any different? Self-willed choices contrary to God's will make him angry. Departing from his love for love for the world. He's a jealous God. Not because you're giving him something that he needs because he doesn't need anything. He's self-sufficient within himself. But he knows that that's going to destroy that individual. He's jealous for his created ones. For them to serve idols is provocative of his anger. Idolatrous living just like the children of Israel. When Moses was up on the hill for 40 days, what did they do? They rose up to play. That angered the Lord. That's Exodus 32. Another thing that angers the Lord is when we refuse His plans and purposes for our lives. Uh, think Moses. Oh, I don't want to do this. I'm. The, I can't. I can't speak very well. You know, this is Exodus 4. I um. Uh, I got a speech impediment. Okay, well then you get your. Well, I get your brother. He'll help you. You can tell him what I tell you. You tell him, and you know God's just taken away every possible excuse for him not to to be obedient, right? And he said, Yeah, just get somebody else. That burnt the Lord. That really angered him. It provoked him. His was, anger was aroused. You just don't want to. don't want to get the Lord upset, right? <laughs> right. That's not a good idea. Just not a good idea. Another thing that causes God to be angry is Numbers 11.1. One. When the people complain, their needs are met. We got a cloud by day to protect the people from the scalding heat of the desert. We got a fire by night to keep them warm so they don't freeze to death in the middle of the desert. And they've got all the food and water they need. And they're griping and complaining and grouching at Moses and each other. And they're just miserable. That made the Lord angry. It displeased him, and his anger was aroused. Now, not to disappoint. You don't think the Lord gets angry? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, correct? Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira, what did they do? Right out of the gate, early church, God displays his authority and his actions towards hypocrisy and lying. One of the things you don't want to do that makes the Lord angry is lie to him. They lied to him. And I would say the Lord was angry. They killed. He killed him on the spot. That, that's harsh. Yeah. How harsh is lying to God from his perspective? What we have essentially in this last section here as I wrap, wrap this up is what I refer to as God's funnel. And I, I think this is actually a a way to pray for, number one, for the lost, for those in rebellion against God that you love, and for two, for disobedient Christians. You notice as we work our way through this last paragraph that he's on a road, the road of rebellion, and the path, God is standing in that path, verse 22. The Lord took his stand in the way. God is becoming an adversary. He is an adversary to all who rebel against his standard. There are no exceptions. He will take a stand. So if you have a loved one, just know that they're not fighting against you in reality. They're fighting against God. And that's not a fight that they're going to win, as we know. What we want as we pray for our loved ones and for those that are lost is we want them to surrender, and it's in this passage here for us. Is the angel of the Lord this is Jesus in the Old Testament? Okay, I know it's hard for people to, to, to grasp that, but he is the pre incarnate Christ here. You uh, he need proof text, Exodus 23, read that, Judges 2, first part of 1 through 5. The angel of the Lord moved in and about in a physical way, he was the physical presence. There often, uh, with the children of Israel as they went through the wilderness. Just remember, when someone's rebelling, they w- God will directly oppose them. Now, this, as I said before, a lot of this is unseen to us. How is God getting in the way? We can't always see, but just know that it's happening. Verse 23. It's is. He's standing in the way, has an adversary, with a drawn sword. He's not playing around. We should not, we should really pray for mercy. God is, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. We are hanging, as it were, by a thread, one step away from eternity. You don't want to be in rebellion. So 21 and 22, we have the Lord standing in the way. Verse 24, he stood, number two, in a narrow path. So we just have the hindrance, adversarial approach, and then now we see the path becoming narrower, a narrow path. The walls between the vineyard and the, you know, the donkey couldn't go much to the left or much to the right. He's sort of hemmed in there. And so he's just, he's trying to avoid death. The, the, the donkey sees more than the prophet. He sees, he understands, but this guy's been blinded. Blinded by the deceitfulness of riches, the potential of temporal wealth. And Then it says the angel of the Lord went a little further from the narrow path to the narrow place. So we're coming even tighter quarters. You can't go to the left or you can't go to the right. And so what does the donkey do? He just lays down, surrenders. Okay, I'm not going forward because I don't want to die. You can get off me and you can go forward and you can die. I wonder if that's what he was thinking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not. You don't see what I see. I don't think you see what I see, right? (laughs) You know, and you look, you know, Peter talks about the madness of the prophet. I mean, this guy is losing his composure. When people are angry and out of control, that's usually a good indicator something's not right in their heart. What are you mad about? When God approached Cain, why are you angry? Hey, look, man, if sin is crouching at your door, it wants to control you. Deal with it or it will control you. Those are the first words of out of the Lord's mouth when he was seeking to prevent Cain from going on into sin, and, and he didn't hear it. He didn't receive it from the, his heavenly father. And then he went on to kill his brother. So you've got to deal with your anger. You've got to deal with it right up front. Balaam was not dealing with his anger. He was just beating his donkey, and that's really what people do that are angry. They hurt everybody else around them. It's really sad the donkey was acting really like we should and someone in rebellion should act and should repent of. What is that? He, first of all, turned aside in verse 23 and then he pushed himself up against the wall to stop. He's stopping and then he just laid down. That's surrender. That's really what God is after. God is wanting Balaam to surrender. And for him to do that, he had to open the mouth of the donkey, and then this is you know this is funny to us, but it's the word it's the it's the Lord speaking through him, obviously these are the words of the Lord. notice that he Balaam wishes he had a sword in his hand. You see what we're thinking in our heart is the very Thing that God has lined up to destroy the wicked. They will fall by the, their own tools, their own devices. They will be caught in their own traps. And so he wanted to have, he wished he had a sword. And yet he did not realize that there was a sword waiting for him. Whew. You see, there's nothing you can do for your loved ones. You can't help them with their spiritual blindness. Only God can open the eyes of those that are spiritually blind. They have to have an encounter with God. So as we pray for the lost, we pray that God would be their adversary, that God would bring him and stand in the way of their path, the way they're going away from God. Lord, get in their way and funnel them down to that narrow path Funnel them down to that narrow place where you can't go left, right, you can't go forward. You're they're just stopped. They must either surrender or die. Now, I've prayed this prayer for several people. A few years back, there was a guy who loved his daughter dearly. He he didn't get saved until late in life, and as a, his wife's a saint, just a beautiful Christian woman, and she. It was a, quite a testimony. Finally, he surrendered. But his daughter, one of his daughters, had not yet surrendered to the Lord. And it was breaking his heart and the, her heart. And they, they asked for prayer. So, and you've, I'm sure you've prayed this prayer for others and maybe some of your loved ones. Lord, whatever it takes to save my daughter, to save my son, to save this friend, Lord, just intervene. Just whatever it takes. So we prayed that prayer. A few weeks later, she has, she's probably like around 30, I'm guessing, at the time. She has an attack of Bell's palsy. You know, freaks out. Who wouldn't, right? Who doesn't? And so he takes his daughter to the doctor. And, you know, of course, he's witnessed to her before. And and, um, she's just scared to death. But God used that, you know, whatever it takes, prayer, and this is apparently what it would take for her to turn her heart. She got serious with God, she, she repented, and she, be, she came to the Lord, and God was gracious, and, and it, it, she was healed and taken care of. But when you're, you know, what would, be, what would be better for her to, to, to go, as Jesus said, go into hell whole? Or to have a physical ailment that would bring him to repentance and then have the body restored on the other side, right? It's a pretty easy choice. And so, important way to pray. God, stand in the way. Stand in the narrow path. Stand in the narrow place. Let God funnel them back to himself. Bring them to the point of brokenness and repentance. I hope you are not on a path of rebellion, anyone here, or anyone listening by way of the internet. If you are, stop. Be at least as wise as the donkey. Lay down. Surrender. Stop fighting God. It's not worth it. What's really amazing that can happen to it, and look at the blindness of this man. He says, (laughs) I have sinned. I did not know that you stood in the way. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Are you kidding me? If this displeases you, do you not get it? Do you understand the blindness that can happen to someone. We cannot imagine, unless you in your previous BC days can remember before you were saved how blind you were. I remember how blind I was. I and mean, that's still hard to see a lot of times, right? The ways of God. But are you kidding me? Do you think the Lord was displeased? I mean, I'm ready to take your head off, son. And you're wondering whether or not I'm displeased. <laughs> so just understand, when you're talking to people and you're sharing the gospel, they're blind. How do you feel about someone who, and how do you approach someone who is physically blind? You know, they got the stick, and you know they got glasses, and they tap, 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 and make their. You're filled with compassion. Oh, you know, you don't want to. You're 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 careful. You're not. You're unassuming with them because, you know, well, they can't see. And that's how we should be, gentle but firm and truthful and unapologetic for what we believe is to be true. God isn't. He doesn't change the truth about who he is or act in any different with other individuals than he does with everyone. Nobody gets a free ride. Nobody has special treatment. Everyone must repent, turn, and be forgiven. But I just, again, just pointing out the blindness of the people that we're working for. So your prayers for God to use His funnel, you may have to pray them, pray this often and many times because of the blindness. This is a major stronghold in the lives of people that are running from God. Shall we pray? Father, thank You for Your Word. Uh, Thank You for what's here and the insight you give us so that we know how to pray for those that we love that are in rebellion against you Lord this is really concerning to us we don't want any of our friends to perish it is something that is so difficult for us to imagine of an eternity separate from you And we don't want anyone to go there, Lord. We want all to be saved as you do. Please give us boldness to share our faith. Give us patience with our unsaved friends. Give us insight as we share the gospel with the blind. Guide us to those people who need to hear the gospel, Lord. Maybe they've heard it before, but they need to hear it again. We pray for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would not harden our hearts or be presumptuous people who think we can do whatever we want and you'll change your mind and bless it when we know it's contrary to your will. Lord, we want to be a people that are completely surrendered to you and sold out. And that when, you hear, when we hear your voice, we obey your commands. We want to bring our flesh to the cross, Lord. We want to live in the Spirit. And so to those ends we pray this morning, Father, that we'll walk in the victory, the freedom, the blessings of being in the Spirit, Lord, clothed with your armor, full of your love, full of your joy, full of peace, full of your goodness, Lord. That is our choice. That is our desire. And we pray that you'd grant that to all of us this morning. And for those of you who may not be experiencing the abundant life and the blessings of God, we'll be up front here, a couple of us to pray after service. Please feel free to come for prayer. Don't leave here if you're struggling in any area or you just need prayer about anything. Please take advantage of the situation. The Lord is here to encourage you to strengthen you and to bless you. Shall we stand?